This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. It's the Monday edition of Kelly and Company here on AMI-audio. And we're going to throw to a conversation that Kelly and I had with our orientation and mobility specialist, Mark Rankin. This is a really good one. Um, and it it leads us into the same kinds of discussions we've been having here on the show today about technology and what's out there and how we're all coming together um, to you know understand technology better. So let's take a listen. As it's the third Monday of the month, oh, I totally lied. It's the fourth Monday of the month. We are talking to our orientation and mobility specialist, Mark Rankin. And this is only our second conversation with him on Kelly and Company, but we're going to get into a lot of things. Mark, today you wanted to kind of have an overall conversation about accessibility challenges when it comes to blindness, low vision, the whole thing. And when it comes to orientation and mobility, how technology has evolved to deal with some of these challenges. Is that right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, what I see is that in the built environment, I mean, as an O&M, a lot of what we do is kind of create hacks around inaccessible features in the environment. Um, some of those hacks now are easier for us because technology um, has kind of filled in where previously we'd have to do a lot of thinking and problem solving with folks. So I kind of want to talk about technology um, within that context. And it was always put on the back of the individual yourself or the person you're working with to kind of figure out what best works A for them, B in this circumstance, and C what the, wherever the venue is, will allow you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, if, if, you know, talking to the two of you, um, if I say, you know, what does, when you think about accessibility in the built environment, what do you think of? Um, what comes to mind for you? What sort of barriers do you see? Well, as a person with low vision, I can think of um, a couple of different things, especially the difference between day and night. So I can use a lot of my vision while I'm traveling during the day. And even with my cane, I can kind of be using my cane but also relying on information visually uh, whereas nighttime I'm paying attention to so much more you know slope and shoreline mm-hmm. and traffic and noise level and lighting and distraction and um, all kinds of things which, which you know overall just talks to the the confidence of my day and night traveling mm. at night always used to be more of an issue for me my vision has gotten poor I I would say Sudden sound, if there's construction going on. I mean, people, you know, standing, you having to navigate around them or objects, obviously is something you really can't do much about. Um, so I think for me, it's, 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 a, it's sound and inability if there's construction or something that makes you have to stop and not knowing that's going to be there uh, and making you have to do things you don't normally do. So when I say by that, rush or take a different route yeah so uh, i mean you're you're illustrating like really nicely the sort of issues that come up so ram is talking about um navigating and being able to use some fun some level of functional vision so 
the visual environment's very important to her, like light levels, contrast, things like that. Uh, and then Kelly, you probably use a little bit more um, hearing when you're navigating. Sure. So uh, background noises are really, really <laughs> important on, on how you're able to relate to the environment. Yeah, the light these used things... to really do it. Like Rum says, right. I know that it used to really, but again, it threw me off enough that I just used my ears and other senses as best I could. But that little bit of vision, and I remember people saying to me, does it really make that much of a difference whether you could see what you could see or if you were totally blind, if you lost all your sight? I said, yeah, it's um, unbelievable how much that little bit coupled with sound cues helps. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that that change is, is huge for, for clients who experience it because vision being so much the dominant sense, mm. um, we will hang on to it. Your brain is just programmed that way, right? So you'll you'll pay way more attention to awful vision <laughs> than you will to excellent hearing right. until there's really nothing left, right? right. So I integrating those two as, as they change is really hard. Um, but w when I talk to people in the general population, <laughs> when I ask about, you know, what do you think of when you think of about, you know, accessibility issues or, or, or barriers in, in the environment and the typical answer is ramps. Like, oh, thank God we have ramps. Mm. Because beyond that, basic physical barrier which is fairly obvious. Um, people don't even think of elevators, actually, as an accessibility feature, right? But they, they certainly are. There's so um, little of them compared to how many we need. But that's a different yeah. side note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't not... I, when I first started as an orientation mobility specialist, I had... In, in, in the first year or two I was working... Um, I had somebody as a client who used, was, was going to a local gym. And this is kind of what put accessibility a kind of for, foremost in my mind. Um, and the, the diversity of, of what it means for, for people depending on their, their travel needs and their disabilities, et cetera. Um, so she had been, uh, she had joined a local gym. She had retinitis pigmentosa. So she was losing her vision, um, and, you know, with that condition, you, you generally start, because it's peripheral field loss, you, you, uh, you lose your rods in, in, in your retina, and then you, you start to have difficulties in low light, mm -hmm. typically night blindness, we'll say. She didn't identify yet as somebody with vision loss. She was talking to me about, you know, do I need a cane at some point? I'm starting to restrict how much I go out at night because it's really scary to me, but I don't feel like I'm... I'm ready to identify to everybody that I, I have this, this vision loss. So, um, you know, while we're discussing that, she we had that massive um, blackout all across North America, right? And during the blackout, they were running a spinning class. That's, that's what she was interested in this particular gym. And everyone loved spinning in the dark for some reason. So they got really excited and they decided that they were going to have all their spinning, their stationary bike classes in the dark. Which great if you can still see in, in low light, but for her it was horrible because what she would do is she she walks in and so she can't see where she's going. She can't she can sort of make out where the bikes are and where the gaps are in them, and so she starts walking and trying to kind of listen to see if she can hear, you know, whether there's a pedal spinning on one bike or not. But they play music at the same time in these you know they get everybody hyped up and. She can't hear anything with that, so she ends up just walking out. So she talked to the gym and she said, can you just put the lights back on? <laughs> it doesn't seem like a crazy request, but you know, can you put the lights back on? And they said, 
Well, you know what we asked, our, you know, we asked our, our other clients and they, they just love it. So no, she said, but I can't, I can't go to these classes. <laughs> They're now inaccessible for me. Like that doesn't feel fair. They said, well, then why don't you ask the instructor if they'll turn the lights on for you when you get to the class? She said, well, then that kind of amounts to me either saying in front of everybody that I'm the party kind of right. party spoiler. I want the lights on. Or I've got, you know, if I want to kind of justify it, I, I have to disclose that I have a, that I have vision loss. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't mm -hmm. think I should have to do that, you know, um, fight that battle every time I want to attend a class. It should be accessible to everybody. Hmm. And that's where I, I said to her, you know, if, if there were a class that you wanted to go to and there were steps getting up to it and you said, we need a ramp there, it would make sense to everybody immediately because that's kind of their frame of reference. Um, so that was where I sort of started to think about accessibility in kind of wider terms in terms of, you know, how poor a job uh, we tend to do as a society. Like even things like, you know, clear signage that's big enough, that has a nice contrast, a consistent font, things like that that should be no-brainers or often, you know, just don't exist in the environment that we travel through. Um, so, you know... Because this is the case, um, you know, standards get better over time. So the stuff that's built now tends to be better than what was built in the past. Um, but it's it's never good enough, right? As as you, know, you probably see traveling through even new builds. Um, and so what's happened is technology's kind of stepped in, um, and now people have technology solutions that help you get around some of the you know the features that are lacking in the environment that would be helpful. So when I think about what's useful, I think about as an orientation mobility specialist, what's going to be um, helpful in terms of orientation, so sort of like wayfinding, and what's going to be helpful for the mobility end, which is sort of step-by-step um, -step avoiding obstacles, not stepping off curbs or falling in, <laughs> in holes or whatever. Um, and if you think of any device you have or any aid you use, they all kind of have that dual function. So people use a cane. Yes, the cane helps you, you know, detect obstacles in your path and walk around them. It can also be an orientation aid in that, you know, the, say the echo of the cane, the sound of that might alert you to features in the environment. Mm -hmm. So you might hear an echo when you're close to a wall or hear a different sound when you're going over an overhang or an awning. Yeah, it's, or, it, it's yeah, interesting, like the cane because it's such a low tech item, right? Tool. Um, but mm -hmm. yet it's so versatile to help you hear, like you're saying, sometimes a, it's not even a real technique. Well, I guess it is if you break it down, but you're just kind of tapping around to see what's, what's there, uh, what's around you, obstacles, or uh, sometimes even just putting my, the ha handle of my cane out to know how far out, let's say, something I'm trailing is, right? Like using my hands mm -hmm. to trail. So there's so much to use. And now with the development of all these other like high-tech tools, um, there's definitely so much out there to be able to use in combination for good mobility and orientation. Yeah. So there, the for a long time, we've had sort of basic um, things that I would call kind of more like a mobility aid, which are kind of obstacle detection sort of stuff. And, the technology is fairly old. You know, it uses something like ultrasound. It sends out a little a signal and then it, it encounters something and it tells you by either by a tone or by a vibration how close that thing is to you. Mm -hmm. um, so there's still 
versions that that exist today and they're you know like the 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 sunu band is one so it's a band you wear around your arm and it has a little sensor at the front that'll detect obstacles in your way as you get closer the vibration or the beep speed up Uh, the buzz clip is another one that you can mount on a cane or or clip onto your um, your clothing it's been a really good one during covid because you can set it one of the ranges is about two meters which is roughly six feet so people could tell if they were six feet away from someone and if you're in a line you could when it stops buzzing you know that they they're they're now just two meters in front of you so um it had its uses and then the we walk cane um is a is a sort of a newer one um, and it has some obstacle detection built into a cane then on the other side you have more of the orientation aids so those would be things like gps aids that are come as features uh, apps on the phone like soundscape um, blind square lazarillo nearby explorer um, the we walk cane also has a, a gps function um, and then there's specialized devices like the the Victor Reader Track, uh, right. and there's a new one called the Stellar Track that HumanWare has. And we're obviously not going to get through all of it because there's a local, there's international, there's development, and there's feedback that people are getting for apps and things like that. But Mark, this is a really great place to start because um, you know every month we'll get into something different, but this whole overall picture of what O and M looks like today uh, is a real interesting perspective just to get everybody on board so thank you so much and we'll wrap there and we'll talk to you next month sounds good mark rankin is our orientation and mobility specialist joining us on the fourth monday of each month this was a fantastic conversation we know that um, mark rankin when he previously joined us on kelly and company in the past he's um, gotten some friends from microsoft soundscape and others to come on and talk directly about the development of these kinds of technology wayfinding being a very uh, particular one that you know us in the blind vision community lean into uh, because it's more wayfinding more uh, orientation and mobility and the more that we feel confident and independent and able out there and it's it's a a great perspective actually to kind of talk about the environmental inaccessibilities out there but to sort of kind of take things into our own hand and say well how can we kind of juggle that uh, except that it's there but juggle and move around it if you will pretty great pretty good conversation with mark and looking forward to the future ones up ahead After the break, we have Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin, and we're taking a discussion on changing health information, uh, all kinds of information that's changing out there. So we're going to chat about what that is after the break on Kelly and Company. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping on Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.